You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. The podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a little bit about ourselves along the way. I've got a really interesting episode here today. The family went and did a off-road triathlon and we did really well. And well, Emily did the, the uh, 5K trail run and it was close by, it was fun, it was beautiful, beautiful day, pine forest, rolling hills. And they had two versions of the triathlon. Uh, one was a sprint, and Kai did that. And Kai got second overall, I think, out of everybody, even though he's only 15. And then I did the um, I did the five-hour version of this triathlon, and it was supposed to be a 1.2-mile swim. And then these, but they had to cut the swim short because it was really, really cold—53, 54 degrees water. <laughs> So they cut it down, but then still we did um, bike and run loops, five mile mountain bike and two mile trail run loops uh, over and over and over and over again, like a duathlon. That's what, and it's called the brick house try. So so many bricks, you can build a house out of it um, until you hit the five hour mark. And the person who hits the five hour mark with the most amount of distance under their belt wins and then everybody else is after that and i got third i almost got second and i got passed on the very last bit and i'll tell you about that in a little bit but also i got a new mountain bike i got an orbea alma and i got the aluminum one uh not the carbon one but it is fantastic so i'm going to talk about it on the show and not only that, but I put electronic shifting on it. I had a single front chain ring and then how many speeds? 12, 13 in the back with electronic shifting. And I got the SRAM Eagle, so it's completely wireless. The shifter by your thumb has uh, a watch battery in it, a CR2032 that all of us know about. And that's it. And the, the no wires and then an app on your phone to uh, modify things i flipped the switch the uh, shifting i talk about that in the show and then the um the rear this is made by sram by the way s-r-a-m the rear has a uh, rechargeable battery on the derailleur and that moves the servos back and forth uh, completely wirelessly controlled by the shifter and then the front fork also had a uh, a manual uh, cable actuated uh, shift uh, lever, not shift lever, um, lockout lever. And so it was, it's kind of a budget bike. It's made by Orbea. It's really nice. Um, kind of a budget bike, but not after I put electronic shifting on it. <laughs> that cost a little bit of money, but I did it and I bought it from the shop that way. I upgraded it afterwards and the shifting was incredible. And I ended up uh, we don't have splits because the race was so unique. They didn't have a way to time everything. But I am very much positive that I had the fastest 
bike split um, of everybody doing the five hour triathlon um, uh, on with because I had uh, electronic shifting and it allowed me just to fly through gears any gear I wanted anytime um, which I'm in mountain biking is huge huge and so it was uh, really really cool all right so I'm going to end the intro here and let's go ahead and get over to the meat of the show where I talk about all this good stuff here we go well all right let's get started with the brick house triathlon review i'm in the zentri mobile studios on the way to work w to the erk and just a side note pulling out of my driveway two boys rode up on bicycles to pick up kai to all ride bicycles all three of them to school one of them's kai's best friend and he's on a very familiar looking bicycle which is odd and i said hey is that a whose bicycle is that he said cause I said you sure are on that a lot have you bought it from him and he said no and I said are you going to and he said maybe and he's been on that bike a lot and I'm gonna sound like such a dad right here I'm not running a bicycle charity I'm not Jordan Rapp uh, I'll give away old bikes that I can afford to give away, but um, that bike was like $400 new, and it's also got like $100 worth of pedals on it that he's riding around on, so I need to uh, talk to some parents, and I would love to sell him that bike and get rid of it for something, so that way he can feel like he has to actually pay for it. 50 bucks, I don't know. Whatever it takes. But anyway, Brickhouse Triathlon. Oh, man. What a race. Very, very cool. So they did um, four races in one. And it was a duathlon, a triathlon, and a 5K trail run. This is all off-road, by the way. There wasn't an inch of pavement uh, once you left this, the uh, highway uh, to go this like mile-long driveway into the uh, property. I think it's like 2,000 acres. And uh, rolling hills, pine forest, just beautiful, beautiful with a big ski lake. A ski lake is a really long, narrow lake, and ski boats go up and down it and make a turnaround at the end and then come back up. And the water was some kind of uh, clear water-fed uh, situation and kind of beachy at the ends. So you could stand in like, some little docks and stuff like that. And it was south of Navasota. Texas and then just east another 10 minutes which is like 35 minutes from our house so it was really cool oh and the triathlon was a sprint distance or a long distance off-road triathlon so it's like Xterra style and the long distance was really really interesting and that's why I signed up for it I thought it was genius and I talked to the race director about it and told him so. This is really, really cool. The long, so, well, let's start with the short distance one. 400 meter swim, which is like halfway down the lake. Uh, it's like a third down the lake. And then a um, right hand turn across the lake to make 400 meters. And then you come out this boat ramp. 
it's really, really nice right to this transition area. And it's like really close to the boat ramp, um, 30 yards or something like that. I mean, really cool. And then they bike the mountain bike route, which was five miles about. And then they run the one of the trail run routes, which was two miles. And it's a Jeep trail that goes around the lake, completely around the lake. So you run around the lake with views of the lake on occasion. There's some nice, a uh, couple nice hills. Um, one of them you have to hold on to trees to pull yourself up on. Just It's real short though. Um, and another hill when you first get about half a uh, quarter, uh, third of a mile into the run um, is a pretty steep hill for 50 yards or something like that. So every lap uh, I ran that. But that, and that's the end of the sprint triathlon. 400 meter swim, five mile bike, five mile mountain bike, two mile run. And the long course was supposed to be, they had to, they had to shorten the swim because it got too cold. The swim was supposed to be a 1.2 mile swim. So a half Ironman swim. And then, which is uh, one and a half laps around the lake. So you do one complete full lap around the lake. And then you go, you start another half a lap and then finish at the boat ramp. Which was a, a really cool idea. And then you do the bike, the same bike and same run as a sprint triathlon. And they, the sprint triathlon starts 10 minutes earlier, five minutes earlier or something like that to break it up. But when you're done with your five mile mountain bike route and your two mile Jeep trail run, you keep going. You do, you never do the swim again, just like an Ironman or half Ironman. It's over. But then it turns into a duathlon. You bike and run these loops, which take um, 27, 28 minutes if you're fast on the bike. And probably like, I'm not very fast on the run, so probably like uh, 17 minutes, 16 minutes if you're fast on the run. So you keep doing these loops until you hit five hours. You need to leave on your last loop before the five hour mark. And then whoever finishes, what order you finish in uh, after your five hour, your last lap, which can take longer than five hours. You can be out there longer than five hours. And all of us that uh, uh, did well were we managed to start a second lap before the um, five-hour mark. And uh, whoever gets the furthest, basically, the furthest, the fastest, wins. And it's sort of, sort of a, a pseudo-cutoff at five hours, which is like a challenging half-Ironman. Uh, so it was really, really, really cool. I was super excited. I've been training for it for quite a while. 
and I got really into uh, improving my bike, my mountain bike uh, hardware because, and it turns out software, because I have a really old, well, it's not really, it's a 10 year old hardtail and it wasn't a bad hardtail. It was kind of cheap, uh, seven, $800 hardtail. Um, but, uh, what I noticed is the, oh, it's a 29er. I really liked it is the shifting was so, uh, cheap that, and I forgot what components were on it. And also I like riding really, really, really long distances that the shifting would end up getting jammed up by the end of almost every single long ride I would go on. And this was the, this was making me really not enjoy mountain biking. And the other thing is because I do triathlon and um, uh, I'm a dad with a family and I've got a full-time job is I don't have the time to constantly be maintaining my mountain bike. I've got a triathlon bike and I got my running gear and I got to go swim, you know, and, I'm, and all this crap. So excuses aside, the weakness in my game was the shifting on my mountain bike. It, every long ride, in fact, when I first got it, I did a hundred mile mountain bike race on it. And with a third left in the race, the thing just pretty much quit shifting. I about broke my thumbs trying to shift that bike. So a few months ago, I started hinting at Emily and looking into um, electronic shifting to put it on my old Jameis Durango because that was the weak point. And I would, see, I would go mountain biking with Kai and my bike would end up misshifting, 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 not shifting right, getting stuck, skipping, like all kinds of stuff over and over and over again. It was making me not enjoy mountain biking. And I really want to enjoy mountain biking with Kai. He's going to graduate high school in a few more years and he's going to be gone. And I want to enjoy this time. And he loves mountain bike. He's really good at it. And I uh, really, it's something we can do at the same speed. Um, he's actually now a little bit faster than me, which is incredible. And He's, uh, I really enjoy mountain biking. We have a good time. Oh, okay. I'll catch up in just a second. Hold on. All right. We are back. It's tomorrow morning from yesterday. And I'm walking out to the Zentri Mobile Studios from swimming. Had a really nice, calm, chill swim. And then got out of the water and immediately got a text message that... All the computers at work that I'm in charge of, this computer system, uh, is broken. For all the people that need to use it and all across the city. And I was like, yeah, but I was in a nice, there we go, there's the unlock button. There we go. Turned on the, the assistant there for a second. And uh, calmly, you know, gave a response and now we're going to work on it on the way in. But, you know, growing up, I was on the swim team. And I noticed my senior year in high school, we swam before school. And on the long sets, I got a lot of time to think about what was actually going to happen that day. And I started using it to go over my, in my mind, like what, oh, yeah, I've got a test. I just noticed that it's kind of like a shower, shower thoughts moment. 
that everything started coming to me that was bothering me. And then I was able to kind of process it out a little bit and handle it better throughout the day. But anyway, let's get back to the brick house triathlon. I think we left off with, I am uh, trying to upgrade shifting on my bike. So I talked to the bike shop, electronic shifting. The upside of electronic shifting on a mountain bike is it never needs adjustment and it will work eternally until the battery dies. I think just slap another battery on actually if you wanted to. And it won't seize up. It won't have all these problems, right? That that I have. And I was watching these reviews and the YouTubers and bike channels were saying, yeah, it's really expensive. And uh, you don't need it really. It's not worth the upgrade. It's not worth the money if you ride shorter stuff and also you um, have uh, your bike time and the wherewithal to keep your bike uh, shifting perfectly all the time. And I thought, well, I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> so this does sound like a really great idea for me to get into the uh, electronic shifting if I can just, you know, buy it. So I talked to the bike shop and they said it was going to cost about $1,000 altogether, maybe more, but because I already had a bike. So you just buy the shifting and put it on the bike. And that sounds like a lot of money, but at the same time, I haven't bought a new mountain bike in 10 years. It's really out of date. And and then, and then, meanwhile, they said, you want to put it on that? I was like, yeah, why? I like my bike. I'm like, yeah. They wrote me an email from the bike shop after they had done some research and inspected everything out. And they'd done some pricing scenarios, you know, $1,000 this way, $1,000 that way, um, you know, because they might have to replace the hub so it'll fit and I'm running a three chain ring front and a nine speed rear on the old bike and this electronic shifting is one chain ring in the front and like 11 or 12 or more in the rear so it's a huge changeover might have to do a different bottom bracket and stuff and they said honestly we don't want to do this we will do it, but we are not excited about putting such a nice drivetrain on that bike, <laughs> politely. Uh, if you've got a thousand bucks to spend, you're better off on buying a new mountain bike that has new parts but doesn't have electronic shifting. And so I kind of thought about that for a little bit. And... They said my front fork was like the lowest spec that they make. Like everything is just bad, bad, bad. And I said, uh, at first I was like, okay. And then I thought, no, no. The whole reason I got into this was shifting. My problem is shifting. And what if I do the same thing I did with my uh, Trek race bike, triathlon race bike, is I buy a lower end bike but then I put electronic shifting on it and then 
that's really, it's your wheels and your shifting that are like the most important things on a, uh, on a bike. And I thought, uh, what if I do that? What if I convince Emily to let me buy the new mountain bike, the thousand dollar mountain bike? Oh, which by the way, was a little bit more than that, but it's last year's model, which I always recommend. Bikes don't change enough. <laughs> Get last year's model, it'll be on sale. So $1,000 on the bike, and then add $1,000 of uh, electronic shifting on it. Take the, uh, the shifting that comes with it off. And Emily said, no way, absolutely not. I will uh, murder you and then I'll divorce you. <laughs> um, not really, but I said, uh, let me think about it and then and then I kind of put it on the back burner. It's like, well, yeah, that's what I need to do. I just don't have the money to do that right now. And that was uh, several months ago. And I was kind of on the fence about it and you know, not really one way or the other. And I was taking Kai's mountain bike in to get worked on because uh, I forgot what was wrong with this bike. It had something, um, something minor broken on it and I took it in and they showed me I, they didn't show me I asked about yeah what about this uh, this hardtail that you're talking about because that's all I could afford that's the other thing is I did that's a huge thing I did not want to buy a new mountain bike unless it was a full suspension I used to have a very nice full suspension mountain bike I had a Cannondale's full suspension um, it was XT everything top to bottom uh, which is a that's like uh, Ultegra in, on road bikes. Shimano XT. Uh, and then I said, well, let me, um, let me ride this hardtail and just kind of see what it's like. So I was just going to save up for a full suspension. I'm not going to get some hardtail. <laughs> I want to go back to a full suspension when I can. So begrudgingly, I got on this Orbea Alma, A-L-M-A. And Orbeas are made in either Portugal or Spain. I think it's Portugal. And started riding it around the um, the parking lot, and they have some dirt trail. I mean, it's real mellow, and over curves and everything. And I could not believe how well it rode and how well it absorbed bumps from the uh, on the rear end, and you know, going off of curves and stuff. It was like it had a small amount of uh, rear suspension. And for mountain bike racing, you want um, very little rear suspension, but you want some because it saps your energy when you pedal. But, and, and it weighs, it adds weight to your bike. And a hardtail will accelerate really fast out of turns, which is a lot of what uh, mountain biking will be, and will climb really good. Uh, better than a full suspension. So this was like a hardtail with a little bit, a tiny little bit of uh, rear suspension. And the reason why is if you go look at the Orbea Alma online, go look at pictures of it, or go look at the pictures I posted on Instagram, um, you can see that there's a bend in the top tube near the seat post. And then if you look from the rear, the, the uh, chain stays bow out and are 
super thin seat stays i'm sorry and and chain stays too but what that does is it allows the the uh, rear end to flex up and down with um when it gets compressed it was so impressive that i actually had to get off the bike and and look at the rear end like i stopped riding and i got off of it and just sat stood there and just looked at it for a minute i'm like how is it doing this like i wanted to see it with my own eyes again because i could not believe it and i was pressing down on the seat out there in the uh the side lot of the bike shop and andrew who's one of the managers came out and said pretty nice huh and i said this is amazing absolutely amazing i can't believe how much i like this hardtail all right i gotta go in to w to the erk and fix some broken stuff i'll be right back out bang all right i'm back just watching a little video of lionel sanders winning what is it called cabo san lucas seems to be in a better mood and uh, let's see talking about the bike so i uh talked to emily and she said okay you can go ahead and put the electronic shifting on the bike they had to order it in and all this stuff and basically it's gonna be my christmas present and i uh went for a couple of rides before the race I, uh, the day i got the bike I think it, I picked up on a Saturday, maybe. Anyway, Saturday afternoon, I went for an hour with Kai. and did a mix of street and uh, trail. And then the next day, a Sunday, uh, went for a two-plus-hour mountain bike ride with Kai. And the bike was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Oh, it does not have... Wait, did it have electronic shifting on it yet? No. Excuse me. I went for an hour one day and two hours the next day without the shifting put on it yet. And the bike was great. It was really, really great. Um, climbed really good. Lots of uh, compliance in the rear. <coughs> anyway, then the next weekend, I took it for a two-hour ride after they got the electronic shifting put on it. And that was awesome. Absolutely awesome wait a minute no that's wrong too <laughs> then I got the electronic shifting put on and took it around the neighborhood some to test out the electronic shifting and that was fantastic that's really cool oh by the way the bike has a lockout front suspension fork on it where you lock it out with a thumb switch and this is really, really, really cool stuff. Basically, any time that you start going uphill or any time that it's really smooth or you're trying to accelerate over relatively smooth stuff, uh, you can just with your thumb. And after a while, because you've been using your thumb for your left derailleur on different bikes like your whole life, you don't even think about it. Just boom, lock it. It's so easy to do. And it makes a huge difference. It feels like it's almost a gear easier like maybe half a gear easier for you to lock out the front suspension so i'm really enjoying the bike really like it by the end of the two-hour ride with kai uh 
as great as the bike was, to after two hours, cables start stretching because it's a new bike. Cables stretch on, on a new bike anyway. But it was just a really good example of, yeah, like you, you ride a long time, stuff starts going bad with your uh, shifting on the bike. And uh, I could just see like if you're doing like a gravel race, like the, um, what's that race called? The Dirty Kansas, you know, it's a 150, 200 mile gravel bike ride, whatever, how far it is. Uh, electronic shifting, boom. No shifting problems at all. Uh, your shifting stays exactly true the entire time. But anyway, I get the electronic shifting put on um, over the, a week, and then I go pick up the bike, and I ride it around my neighborhood a little, just a little bit around my block. I rode around my block, and it was fantastic. It worked uh, really good, and... It's really trippy. <laughs> I spent forever trying to figure out where to put the sh- The shifter's slightly different. It's got like these paddles that you just barely touch and it works. And um, there's a button on the back that does like a, a rapid drop shift if you want or something like that. But it also comes with an app and you can configure it. And I configured it to flip the, the, the shifting, reverse the shifting, the up goes one way and down goes the other way reverse than what it is standard because I just found myself hitting the wrong button all the time going the wrong way so I that's really cool with the app I switched it but I didn't do that uh, until after I rode it for a long time one day and that is the day before the race we went to the race course they had the race course open it's normally not open it's a private ranch and uh, we pre-rode the course twice. It takes about 27, 28 minutes to do it kind of medium speed. And normally for most bike races, you don't go out, especially for triathlons and stuff, you don't go uh, out the day before and ride anything. You need to be tapering and resting, especially if you're going to do something that's like a half Ironman. The difference, though, is with uh, mountain biking, Mountain biking is so technical that it pays off huge dividends to be familiar with the course. Where are you going to have problems with the course? Where can you accelerate? Where are the climbs? Where are the turns? Where are the crazy uh, stuff? So, like, this course had hard turns, very hard turns. It had a log in the middle of the trail. It had, um, like, in in the bottom of a creek, like a rut. And then it had bridges that were narrow in places really narrow with a with a bend in them that with a slight embankment it had steep downhills with hard turns at the bottom it had fast downhills with sweeping turns it had changes of of uh surfaces like crazy and it had for example uh, a route on the um on a downhill on a single track da- section downhill that would buck you off your bike if you didn't know where it was, if you hit it with your rear rear wheel. So, kind of uh, rode the uh, the lap, the bike lap twice. So it took like 27 minutes, 27, 28 minutes each time. And that, this is when I finally got uh, my mind and hands and experience wrapped around the uh, electronic shifting on the mountain bike. And it is awesome, guys and girls. It is really, 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 really cool 
because it just shifts without you having to put any effort into it. It just shifts every time. Every time, and it shifts correctly, and it goes to the right spot, which is huge in mountain biking. And I imagine uh, like crit uh, road cycling, uh, long distance straight line triathlon, the reason I have electronic shifting on my bike for that is the opposite kind of reason. Uh, it's actually for safety because if you get electronic shifting, you can get um, shifting outboarded way out on your where your brake levers are. So now you can ride on, you can shift while your hands are on your brakes, while you're going sweeping through a turn. You can shift and then be in the right gear coming out of a turn instead of having to remove your hands from the brakes on the handlebars on the bullhorns and then reach way forward to shift. Now you've got shifting points on uh, the the tips of your dry bars and down by your brakes. Okay, so race day, I found that I was uh, keeping up and gaining and leap dropping people in really technical sections where I was able to get in the right gear to continue riding and put power down uh, while I heard the person behind me um, fiddling around with being in the wrong gear, not being able to shift fast enough, shifting shifting to the wrong gear, being stuck in the old gear. Uh, it, it was dramatic, the difference and the smoothness of being uh, in the right gear all the time. And because you can shift so fast without really thinking about it, there was another cool thing that I could shift. Uh, let's say I have a small dip, just a dip going downhill, like for just 10 feet or something like that. I could shift it up a gear uh, to be harder, a harder gear. And... Um, be in the right gear to go in the, down that very slight section of downhill um, without spinning out. And then when I hit the downhill and I start coming back up again, pop it right back up into um, the uh, an easier gear. Now that I'm going back up a little bit, I've lost some speed, so now I need to be in a little bit easier gear. And I, I found during the race that I could be I could do that, and that's like a, a that's like a few seconds each time, every little downhill. And then on the climbs, you know, locking out the uh, the front suspension, which is, is that's not electronic. That's just a um, regular uh, thumb lock, uh, thumb shifter kind of looking mechanism. That uh, I was just like accelerating up hills faster than the competition, and then it you unlock it with a thumb tap uh, when you get to the top of the hill and start going back down again. And a, a couple times I'd forget. <laughs> And I'd be going downhill, and I'm like, man, this this downhill is rough. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got the front suspension locked down. Okay, i got to go inside and have a snack, and I'm going to ride my bike. And I'll be back in just a second. Out. we got a whole lot more. All right, we are back. Just had a really good bike ride this morning. Legs are still sore. Let's see, it's Thursday. Race was on Sunday. So let's see, I was at four days of uh, really bad soreness. And that's because, um, I mean, I'll talk about it more later, but I didn't train enough for the run 
and that's on purpose because I'm overcoming uh, run problems, run injuries, and it's working. So I didn't want to train too much and just kind of dealt with it on, on race day. So my running legs were uh, are busted up. So it's taking uh, quite a while to get back into running shape. All right, so let's go ahead with the story and tell you why, uh, what happened. So let's see, we went to uh, pre-ride the course. Connor rode it twice. Emily met us out there. Uh, met the race director. Met the um, met the everybody. Really, it was uh, it was really cool. The landowner eventually after the race met him. It's beautiful rolling hills, pine forest. Really unusual for for this area that um, that's usually about forty five minutes to an hour east of here. But this was thirty five minutes, so it's like a little pocket of it. Uh, because we live in kind of like a rolling prairie, which has like scrub grass and, and uh, short trees, like 30 foot trees called post oaks here. And I uh, was just really impressed with how beautiful it was. It's gravel road right from the gate and really, uh, really hilly and nice. It's really great. And let's see, we got there around 9.30. Uh, Tess rode the course twice. I was telling you about the bike shifting was amazing it's all working well and then we had to pack up and go to houston because kai uh even though his birthday was a month ago for his birthday we had given him a pass to ride in race cars um exotic race cars so lamborghinis ferraris like that let him pick the car it's a thing they tour around houston no they tour around the united states maybe the world with their cars and you sign up and for a slot <clears throat> to either ride or drive. Kai's not old enough to drive, so he just rode as a passenger. And that was, uh, that's when they come to your town. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like buying concert tickets. You kind of have to do it whenever they do it. And that happened to be this weekend. So we went to Houston and did that. It was a two hour drive. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, I think I already mentioned earlier, uh, zentrathlon.com and look at it you can see zentrathlon.com zentrathlon at instagram you'll see all the mclarens lamborghinis ferraris porsches if you look closely you might see the nissan gtr which is a pretty cool car out there and was there any other kind of unusual car anyway kai i posted a bunch of uh, videos and kai was having the time of his life he absolutely loved it. It was a long drive there and then back. And then as we got closer back, the race course where I left my car and our bikes locked to the car is on the way back, picked up our bikes, came home and picked up my car and finished up relaxing and getting stuff together overnight for the race in the morning. And then luckily we even had time change in the morning. And so we fell back an hour which was great. And I have an observation that, you know you're doing too much in life and like tired <laughs> when, when time change happens and you don't even notice it, like it works in your favor, like in the fall and you don't even, it doesn't even register. I mean, you really could have used that hour and you needed it. So anyway, all I noticed was the light was earlier. And so we got up in the morning, went to the race Oh, we got an email overnight that they had shortened the race course um, because the water was really, really cold, they said. And they didn't announce the water temperature. 
I'm not sure why. I'm sure they, they thought there was a reason behind why they didn't announce the water temperature. Because um, I think they didn't want to scare anybody. But they're offering people to switch over to the duathlon instead of the triathlon if they wanted to. I sent an email to the race director saying, don't do that. I'm swimming really cold stuff. Um, you're taking advantage away from us swimmers. And he wrote back and said he understood, but, you know, whatever. And I totally get that. I totally respect that. I just, and I wrote him back and I said, well, I just wanted to email you if you were on the fence about one way or the other, that not thinking nobody cared. Um, I did care. And so we get there and they start announcing, oh, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful day. They start announcing that the both the sprint triathlon has been shortened from 800 meters to 400 meters and also the long distance triathlon that should be 1.2 miles has been shortened to 400 meters as well it is so cold and that it was 54 or 53 i can't remember now but i think it was 54 degrees at least 54 maybe 53 and that is cold guys but um at alcatraz the time I did the Alcatraz swim, it was about that temperature, and you wear three swim caps. But everybody's prepared for that. Everybody knows that. Everybody has all the gear for that. They know what they're getting into. Alcatraz is legendary. Um, they have classes on how to swim in cold water, and that's a it's a half Ironman, pretty much. It's one point two miles, and half Ironman doesn't swim. And uh, you know these people like that so a whole bunch of people switched over to the duathlon so i start getting my bike ready and the transition area is so cool it's really nice mellow and they uh oh, i'm putting on my wetsuit i have a desoto t1 which is like the best wetsuit ever especially for tall people because it's a two-piece wetsuit um so it doesn't yank on your crotch to put it on and it's actually a little old although I don't wear it all that much, so I was surprised, and it started to split. I thought it was my fingernail, but later, after the race, I looked at it, and it was along a seam um, behind the calf, the left calf, both calves, there's a seam, and that's where it started to come apart, and, and it split. It started splitting fast and long, and I was like, oh, crap. Uh, later, I posted on Slow Twitch to ask uh, what to do, and people said how to fix that, which I'll probably talk about on another show, and, whoa, 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 whoa. people driving all crazy, and, uh, talked to some people, had some fun, chatting, getting everything together, um, because this was such a unique race, I had some strategies, I guess that I'll talk about in a little bit, about how to do all my gear, right well I guess I'll talk about it now I had um, a camelback already full of water and then a big it was more than a gallon jug it might be like a gallon and a half gallon jug of water and I carried that all the way to the transition area Emily helped me carry it and so that was in the transition area with me and then my fuel bottles, two fuel bottles, and then I had a race belt, um, no, an amphipod, A-M-P-H, like amphibian, amphipod, a race belt with clip-on water bottles that are like flasks that are like 10 ounces each. And 
and those were already full of water, I think. Mostly full of water. And anyway, my plan was when I ran out of water in my Camelback to use that gallon jug of water to fill it back up. And I ended up doing that, and that ended up working great. So we get in and start swimming around. Uh, Kai and I and Emily all pretty start started up started off pretty much around the same time. Um, they did maybe the runners and the duathloners first. And what they do with the duathlon, I've never done a duathlon, so I'm always uh, having to remember this. They start off running, and that kind of splits them up. By the time they get to the bike, then when they're biking, uh, they're going, they're leaving the bike area a little bit more one at a time. And then that way they're not all crowded when they try to get onto the bike course. So Emily's group and the duathloners start off first where she's doing the 5k and I'll be right back. Hold on. All right. I'm back. I had to pick up breakfast tacos for work in Texas breakfast tacos. They're like tacos, but they use egg instead of scrambled eggs instead of, uh, I don't know, whatever you use, like beef, chicken, chicken, pork. And let's see, we, <clears throat> Kai's group started off on the swim and they looked pretty good. Looked like one person was having trouble swimming and as a parent, you know, I'm like, is that Kai? Is, is Kai okay? And it turned out he was fine later found out and then I think it was about five minutes later our group started off and it was just a 400 uh, yard or 400 meter swim can't remember but you know swim to this one buoy and then take a right and then up the boat ramp and it always cracks me up it's a five hour race doesn't matter how fast you go it's still five hours even it's a five-hour race and how people sprint at the beginning of these things. So they did the air horn and we had to be out of the water. We had to be standing on the beach, but we did get to warm up, which was nice. And we're standing on the beach, air horn, and I don't know, like a third of the people just sprint running as fast as they can into the water you know tripping falling down over the water and and i'm always like all right i guess this this is what it's going to be like and um i kind of jog i do run but i like just kind of jog casually and then jump in and i end up being you know not in the lead and i didn't expect to be in the lead um uh, in a in a uh do tons of like hardcore swimming I swim three times a week and uh, let's see about 200 yards in I noticed that I've caught up to the person uh, the two people that are winning and they're swimming side by side or together and then um, 250 yards in I pass them I go around the buoy take a right and I look, kind of look back and I can't see them and I do like a stroke of backstroke and look behind me and they're way behind. And then I uh, come out of the water and it kind of looks like I came out of the water maybe, um, I, was, I was 
up the boat ramp and into the transition area and sitting down and putting on, taking off my wetsuit and putting on my shoes, my socks and shoes um, before the next person came into the transition area. <laughs> so I did did the swim at, um, it said like a 123 pace on my watch. It's hard to tell. And that was a whole other thing is like trying to figure out a workout uh, method for my uh, Garmin to uh, handle all these all these workouts. Oh man, I'm stuck behind a guy pulling a trailer that doesn't know his way around town. It looks like. So I um, put on my wet. I'm breathing really, really hard. I was excited to uh, win the swim. I found out later that I actually won the swim out of everybody, even the sprint triathlon. It seems like. Um, and the way the timing goes on this five-hour thing is there isn't a uh, there wasn't a swim time posted. So the sprint triathlon had a swim time posted, but for the long distance one, I guess they just don't have the format to do swim and then bike run, bike run, bike run, bike run, bike run, bike run. <laughs> um, they just had. Uh, your overall time, I think. And uh, I take off on the bike. And I think I was in first. Either somebody got on the bike before me or not. I had I had a really slow first transition. <coughs> it looks like from my time out of the water to get onto the bike, it's like four minutes, which is a really long time. But I was getting out of a full wetsuit, putting on a camelback for the first time. Um, I had my race number already on. Putting on socks and shoes, you know, and then running to the, also running to the transition area. And toweling off just a little bit. Oh, it was cold. Oh, I put on a, um, I put on a long jersey for the first lap on the bike to stay warm. And of course, you know, you're wet and you're trying to put that thing on so it doesn't go on perfectly the first time. So there was all that. So maybe that's why the uh, four minutes. But anyway, I start off on the mountain bike loop. And I had told myself, it's five-hour race, so have a mental note to stay cool. Like, not cold cool, but like stay mellow so I don't blow up. And my mental note was every time I saw a marker on a tree to... Um, and they're usually blue or green. So anytime I saw the color blue or green, like an artificial blue or green, then uh, to remember to be chill, be very relaxed. And I started uh, riding along. And then if the guy had passed me, no, I came in, came in the transition area. For, if the guy had passed me in the transition area to start on the bike, then I passed him back at some point on the bike ride. And this ended up being the guy that won. Um, but I passed him back on the bike ride if he was ahead of me out of the transition area because um, I got back to the transition area first. But it was hard to tell on the mountain bike course because I passed a few people, but they were um, there was duathletes out there that were doing the duathlon course. So it was kind of hard to tell if I was passing duathletes or if I was passing triathletes and I got back to the transition area 
Um, feeling pretty good, but I was going too, a little bit too hard. My heart rate was still high. It was in the 150s, I think. And But I just come off the swim, and I think I clocked a 27-minute um, ride. Got into the transition area. Dumped off the camelback. I think for the first run, maybe I didn't run with the amphipod uh, running belt. I can't remember if I did or not. Probably not. And started jogging. And my transitions from then on out for the bike run were anywhere from like below a minute, like say like 40 seconds and change to above a minute, like a minute 20 and change. And it was random and they were um, all in there, but really nice, fast transitions. And that's because I was wearing flat pedals. And I love wearing flat pedals for mountain bike uh, triathlons. Uh, especially duathlons where you go back and forth and back and forth. And I use these pedals called One Up is the name of the brand, One Up Composites. And they worked fantastic. All right, I will pick up from there once we uh, get a break from work. I gotta take these breakfast tacos in. <laughs> I'm late. All right, I am back and I am so, so, I'm so excited. <laughs> I had to give a big talk last night for work. I was like the keynote speaker for something really big. And it was, it was definitely not scary, but it was just a lot of work putting together something that was gonna last an hour. And I'm sure like many of you can uh, guess and forecast, I had too much stuff to talk about. I could easily have gone over an hour. In fact, I did, and I had to be cut off, you know, try to wrap it up at the end. <clears throat> but it is so great to have that uh, finally done and out of the way. One funny thing is I started off the talk with my, my Zen practice experience. I said, this talk will be great either way. Um, <laughs> if it's really good, then I'll have, I'll have done it and um, I can get to do it again. And if it sucks, then I'll never be asked to do it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's where we're at. And... That's actually a, a, um, a Zen lesson is uh, don't worry too much about things because you never know what's going to be the outcome. And either way, it'll be all right. Okay, there's a lady next to me with two dogs in her car in her front, front seat. It is 27 degrees outside, very cold. Kai is biking to school. I mentioned to him the Polar Bear Award. That's where you do things uh, below freezing temperatures. The pool that I used to train uh, all the time, used to train at all the time, was uh, outdoors, and they gave a polar bear award if you swam so many yards or so many days or something like that below freezing temperatures, and you got a t-shirt. Like once a year, they did that, and so I've got the, I've got like the 2011 polar bear award uh, t-shirt that so did lots of people. It's just a thing, anyway. So Kai's biking to school in the freezing temperatures and looking forward to it. And he asked me, Dad, do you have any gloves? And I go, yeah, bottom right drawer. And he opened it up and he goes, whoa. <laughs> and I said, yeah. 
your dad's got skills, huh? I think Kai, uh, he forgets like how much gear I've got. And it's not that we've spent a lot on gear at any given time. It's just gear piles up and piles up. And we've been doing this since 2011. No, 2001. It's almost 20 years of uh, triathlon stuff. And while lots of gear has been thrown out because it's been worn out, there's still plenty of gear that's uh, good and in the drawer. All right, so let's go back to, speaking of gear, let's go back to bikes. In the uh, race, let's see, I got to the transition area first uh, overall for the five-hour uh, triathlon. And um, managed to leave the transition area first as well, I believe. And then jogging along um, at my 10-minute mile pace. Actually, I think the first lap I averaged, first mile, definitely I averaged like a low nine-minute mile. And it's really good for me for running on a treadmill all the time. And um, this is really uneven surfaces at times. And I was not expecting that. You know, it had Jeep Trail, but a lot of times Jeep Trail and stuff like that is kind of improved a little bit. You can find like a smooth line through it. And this was not. This was not only like, it wasn't like technical Jeep Trail as in like rough. Been driven over a lot, you know, and eroded and rough. It was like they just made it <laughs> in, cer in certain parts. So the ground is raw you know so clumps of this so it's it's rough and rolly and can give way at any second any direction because it hasn't been packed in so that was uh, interesting and about a quarter of a mile in the uh the guy that ended up getting first place passed me because he's a um a real runner and put in he was running i think he averaged probably eight minute miles that's all he needed no I bet he averaged only a nine-minute mile because he beat me overall by, like, 20-something minutes. Maybe maybe half an hour. I don't think so. I think he beat me by 28 minutes. And um, over 12 miles, what's that, two? Oh, yeah, maybe eight-minute mile. Oh, but I averaged, like, after a while when I started fading, like, started going up to it because I had to mix in some walking, um, 11, 12-minute miles, stuff like that. So, yeah. You can win a very competitive, tough, I wouldn't say it's very competitive, but a very tough race um, with a 12 minute mile. <laughs> or an 11, 11 minute mile, nine minute, uh, 10 minute mile, nine minute mile. Uh, it just kind of depends. And so he disappeared. So I'm running along and I'm actually uh, really enjoying it. Um, trail running is so cool oh but the thing was is this this race's trail running had no single track on it for the triathlons if you did the uh 5k trail run it was actually um a lot of it on trails you know single track but anyway started doing uh bike run loops um first place was beyond me then all these do athletes it was hard to tell who was actually in the triathlon and whatever and I was talking to people kind of in the transition area on occasion and because I ended up doing six laps of 
the bike run. So what is that, 12 transitions? <laughs> and I was wearing uh, uh, regular running shoes on flat pedals, which means I never had to do transitions. Uh, I never had to do um, shoe transitions, which was really great. I was, I was saving a ton of time. I did, um, my transitions were anywhere between 45 seconds and a, and a minute and a half total. And that's including taking off, you know, mountain bike gear. Like, I uh, never wore gloves. Uh, but your helmet, camelback, um, putting on, I put, every time I put on a running belt uh, that had water bottles in it. And I'm just going back and forth. So the run, um, as the run got hotter because it started getting into noon, and this is Texas and it was sunny. So as the run started getting hotter, I was doing the thing where I was dribbling water over my head and oh, that was really cool the downside they had heed on the course the downside of heed is because it has no color no flavor i'm not really i'm like is this really water or not because you kind of lose track of like what things taste like and all that i prefer to have it colored and the uh so, yeah water dribbling water on my head and then on the bike uh flat pedals i never even thought about it i'm so used to riding flat flat pedals on the bike um the bike just kept performing and performing and performing and performing. It was just incredible. I was having so much fun riding that course. And honestly, you know what? Like 20 minute loops, now that I've, I kind of forgot about this, now that I think about it, that's what I do in training sometimes for the most effective use of resources. So like you can go about 20 minutes before you have to grab more stuff. To, uh, on the depending on the weather and water running and then uh biking yeah you can go further uh, you can do about an hour you can, well 45 minutes before you need to reload like on a hot day before you need an aid station and uh but mountain biking was just making the time fly by so the all the off-road stuff was just really 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 cool there's there was an out and back that was maybe a half a mile long and that was really cool each way. Maybe, nah, I don't think it was half a mile. It was a quarter mile each way, so it ended up being half a mile. And that was cool because there was a guy that I was worried about that was catching me. And on lap uh, three, yeah, I noticed he was really close behind me, and I did not like that. So then on lap five and six, I was paying attention. And lap five, he was just starting the the dog leg out as I was finishing and then on lap six he wasn't even there and so I was like cool so that's a really nice benefit of out backs uh, pine needles rolling um, just just wonderful 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 stuff and then the very last the second to last run I started having trouble big trouble like I was starting to get um, a little bit of stomach pain and a little bit pooped out and then on the very last run um, I got passed and moved from second to third which I'll tell you about in just a second hold on all right we are almost done with this triathlon I left the uh, transition area on my final run knowing that there was this guy behind me that was gaining ground in the last transition I asked 
if he was in the triathlon or the duathlon. And he said, oh, triathlon. <coughs> Excuse my cough. And I said, cool, but I did not mean cool. I realized I said that because, you know, I have manners. And uh, the feeling I had inside was, damn it. <laughs> because this guy was gaining ground on me definitely not on the bike i was i was still biking uh much faster than he was i think but i was um running much slower than he was and which was surprising because he was like this big burly guy so i could not understand why um uh he wasn't like overly muscular and he wasn't like uh, overly fat there's this uh, there's this body type that some of us have where when we put on fat, we put it on kind of like in the right places. So if we're a guy, it makes us look like strong, like burly, like like uh, beefy. And that's kind of what he looked like. And, and, and it's counterintuitive. It's not counterintuitive. It just doesn't seem right that he would be able to be carrying weight like that and be a fast runner or even if you are a fast runner and you're big it's like being built like a, a football player and so football players can run fast if they're in good shape and all that but they can't run fast for very long usually the weight wears them down especially as it was getting hotter and so it was I was surprised and taken aback a little bit that this guy uh, when we were running was running still running so fast and well it was impressive i was like man you don't have to be some scrawny little uh weakling to be fast uh running and in fact triathlon and uh definitely mountain biking requires you know bulk and strength and uh a long time ago i interviewed oh uh conrad stoltz who's my build my height big guy and he was the world champ xterra mountain bike uh triathlon racer for years and years and years his nickname is the caveman because he's so big and uh, big for the sport he's my size but anyway uh left on the run <clears throat> and on the run um i was watching i had one minute left before i left the transit between when I left the transition area and when I had to be out on the run not to get cut off. And so that was the one o'clock limit. And I was like, as I left the transition area, I think he was just starting to come in down the hill on the mountain bike. And so I was like, oh, I think I got it. He's gonna, ha he's not gonna meet the cutoff. He's not gonna be allowed to go out on the run because it's now gonna be past one o'clock. And so I'm jogging around the end of the lake. It's been a couple minutes, a few more, you know. Now it's definitely past the one o'clock cutoff. And I see him leave the transition area. So they didn't stop him. The volunteers didn't stop him from running. And I'm not clear. I think the rules were kind of, the rules were kind of vague. And then, then that makes whatever happened just fine, you know. Like... Were you supposed to not, were you supposed to begin a bike and a run loop before the one o'clock cutoff or just a run loop? Finish the bike. All right, I'm back. Sorry, it was a phone call. 
and uh, the um, so it depends. Did the rule say you can't start on your last run loop or the last uh, bike loop? If it was the last run loop, then I got second place. If it was the last bike loop, um, then it's then I got third place because he passed me on the run and he passed me like I was uh, standing still which I almost was because I started to have to walk <laughs> um, I was thinking I was walking and pouring water over my head to keep cool it's such a cool trick I love it volunteers are awesome they're all really young for some reason like uh, volunteers are grabbing them from the uh, I don't know local high schools and college like a running team and stuff and so then after I was done, oh, Kai and Emily had come back with Zoe, our dog, and Zoe was there. Oh, if I haven't mentioned it, uh, Kona passed away. Uh, it was all, Emily posted all over Facebook and stuff, and I didn't really want to talk about it. Of course not, you know. Um, he had cancer. And was We had a lot of extra time with him before he finally, we had to put him down. And... Um, that's okay, and I'm okay with it and stuff. I think he died. I'm not terribly okay with it because he died um, a, f- a, f- a couple years sooner than I thought he should. I, I was hoping he'd live a little bit longer. He was 11 or 12, and I was hoping, you know, maybe when he was like 14 or 15, he'd last. And um, It was really, really, really sad. Um, but all of our animals that we've had except for our one cat uh, when we lived in California that died. Um, we've all buried them in, uh, in near Tyler and Frank's, uh, gosh, it's between Palestine and Frankston on Emily's farm, Emily's dad's farm. They're all buried up there. And Emily does the saddest thing. <laughs> she buries them. When you see this, it'll about make you cry. She buries them with pictures of us cry right now I'm just talking about it it's so sad buries buries them with pictures of us and some of their toys and um uh pictures of the other dogs and cats that they uh that happened to be alive like in our house uh at the time that they were alive I mean it is so adorable and cute and sad and then Emily's dad uh will actually dig the grave with the um backhoe of his tractor on the farm and we have like a little uh pet cemetery of of uh not every single one of our animals not every single one of his dad's animals but we try you know the best we can and it's uh it's really sweet anyway zoe was at the finish line with kai actually about half a mile from the finish line kai was walking zoe along the shore of the lake and he came with me and walked and ran and there was no competition coming behind me so I decided to walk and my legs were shot. Okay, I have not done any downhill running and hardly ever been running outside uh, because I've figured out how to uh, slowly improve my plantar fasciitis and get healthy uh, by running on flat, controlled terrain and treadmill. In fact, I've totally fixed my um, arch problem where my foot was rolling in, uh, my posture problem. And so I'm totally on the, on the mend, so I haven't run outside. So guess what? If you don't run outside, especially if you don't run downhill, running downhill, which this had um, little bits of, will just wreck your quads. And my quads were blasted. 
So I crossed the finish line, uh, had a beer with the uh, landowner, who's this really old uh, lawyer guy who was really cool, and um, race director and other people. And then we did the um, awards and stuff. And yeah, Emily got third in her either age group or something like that uh, for the 5K run. And then, uh, yeah, Kai got second overall, I think. Or third overall uh, in the sprint triathlon. I won the swim for both the sprint and the um, long-distance triathlon. I didn't have the the fastest bike split for any lap because even Kai uh, beat me on that. And that other guy, several people beat me on any given bike split. Um, but I had the fastest bike splits for the five-hour triathlon on this electronic shifting uh, uh, sweet ass Orbea, which is just awesome. Absolutely loved it, man. I had such a great time on that bike. Lo- I was looking forward to getting onto the bike every loop. I could not wait to get on it. And I knew that every time I was going to get on it, that I was going to enjoy it and really have a really, really good time. So, a huge thumbs up on that. Um, after the. Um, After the race, days afterwards, my legs were like rubber. Couldn't walk right. Had to hold on to things because my quads were completely blasted out. So I am uh, very, very happy. All right. I've got to go to a uh, work meeting festival thing here. And so I will catch up with you on just a bit. Oh. All right. We are back. And I guess, honestly, um, that wraps up the the uh, off-road triathlon. So my thoughts are if you like mountain biking a little bit or like it a lot, consider, and you aren't doing off-road triathlons, if you are doing off-road, off-road triathlons, you already know what I'm talking about. They are really, really fun. They're really hard. They're really different. And it adds in a nice mix. Um, and approach to triathlon training to deal with the bike safety issue is two things. One thing is uh, my bike computer right now is the Garmin 520 and I've heard about this uh, this Garmin radar thing. Uh, Varia maybe. But that, gosh, I wish I just had a, a screen behind me. But if you they say that if you try this camera <clears throat> no, it's, it's a radar. It's not a camera. And then you're, you have to have a 520 plus, which is an upgraded 520 or some other bike computers. If it, uh, if you get that before you get it, you're like, I'm all right. And then after you get it, you're like, I will never bike without this ever again. Oh my gosh. It is so safe. Um, my, my, and most people's, um, threshold for, is this something you would, uh, buy should buy is if you have it for a while and then it breaks or you lose it or you stolen or something like that would you go out immediately and buy another one and if the answer is yes then this is something that you should look into if that's somebody's yes not yours then it's something that you should seriously consider and that's what i've heard about this radar thing i don't have one of those yet so i guess i kind of need to get one and oh i should talk about uh i'll talk about heart rate during the um race because uh, i did have some thoughts on that i'll talk about that in a second and the other thing was um, 
So bike safety, riding around in the countryside, I have started, I started training indoors and I've been talking with Kai because Kai hates training indoors. And I'm like, well, you hate it until you figure out a way that it's awesome. And then you'll, you'll never stop. <laughs> kind of like the uh, thing I was just talking about, this radar thing um, that lets you know that cars are coming up behind you. And uh, what I figured out is I really like to be safe. I like riding indoors that way I can ride at night easily no problem no flat tires you know stuff like that. I had a flat tire the other day on my trainer I just put another wheel on my bike on my front tire um, the valve went bad finally and riding outdoors can um, oh I might have gotten in the wrong lane riding outdoors can um, run a lot of risk on the street so what I've ended up doing is riding outdoors um, mountain biking. When I want to ride outside, I mountain bike. And then there's no cars. And I remember reading in Slow Twitch, on Slow Twitch a long time ago, uh, somebody saying, at some point people are going to, mountain biking is making a huge comeback. And it was because people start realizing that riding on the road is so dangerous because the whole conversation was a complaint about somebody, yet another person got hit by a car and killed. Right on the road is so dangerous um, that people are going to switch over to mountain biking. And that's kind of what's happened to me is I ride indoors, and then when I want to ride outside, I go mountain biking. And then I work on my bike handling skills, and I get all my outdoors and all my fun. But I'm not in danger of being hit by a car. A mountain biking's got its own dangers with trees. <laughs> falling down but if you play it a little bit safe that's really up to you you know or being hit by cars a lot of times it's not up to you so that's what I do is I uh, ride indoors all week and then on the weekend I go mountain biking and uh, I am looking back and getting uh, riding my road bike outdoors some I need to actually get my road bike set back up for outside that'd be kind of cool all right I wanted to jump in and add something right here because I'm about to talk about how, or if I've already started, about how biking off-road, mountain biking, keeps you from getting hurt by cars. Well, I just had a terrible mountain biking, uh, <laughs> a mountain biking ride. It wasn't terrible. It was actually pretty wonderful. But just laden with injuries and stuff. So you can go off-road and get hurt just as, uh, not quite as bad. It's not like being hit by a car. But when I'm talking all about how smart I am that I'm riding off-road. There's uh, some caveats here. Caveats? Caveats! Ah! Those words. Alright. I am getting in the Nissan Xterra Mobile Studios and recording at the mountain bike on the back. Just finished a bike ride. And ow, I'm having trouble reaching because I wrenched my back really bad, but that was towards the end of the ride. I did a two hour and 10 minute or so mountain bike ride. Going long, actually got up early this morning and ran for an hour, so six something miles on the treadmill this morning. Ran uh, outside with Kai uh, yesterday. Yeah, nobody's behind me, I'm gonna start backing up. There's a lady from Australia parked next to me. This is when I feel like I'm going to back over my helmet. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, 
Okay, it's 2 o'clock. Ugh! So, I haven't ridden my mountain bike in two weeks since the uh, triathlon. I started riding. Cruising along. Having a good time. And you've got to speed up as you go downhill and go pretty fast. Because there's a big pile of dirt that's like... I don't know, 8 to 10 feet tall. It's really steep. And you got to be going fast to, to uh, get up it. And I am like five minutes into my to my ride. I'm driving down a gravel road, by the way. That's why it's all loud. It'll it'll get better in a second. Oh, I've got some tips, by the way, to mix in here. Mountain bike tips. And oh, nobody coming. God, I love College Station. Getting on a freeway, not a freeway, a highway. 70 mile an hour speed limit and there's nobody coming from the other direction, from either direction. Anyway, I uh, am flying down this single track, trying to get up speed, going a little bit downhill, going pretty fast. And I guess because I haven't ridden my mountain bike in a while and I'm just not, you know, back at it like I was. I catch my toes on the down pedal stroke, down stroke pedal, whatever, on the right side, on a piece of metal that's sticking up. And it's not a flimsy piece of metal. It's a cattle guard that right before you hit it, it has a dip the dirt has a dip and so somehow I managed to get my toes down low enough where my toes caught this thing and it is not moving and I'm doing I don't know 20 something miles an hour and I hit it and then immediately have to uh, go ramping uphill I mean instantly up this thing and I yelled out in pain. It wrenched the bike partially. And then as I kind of get to the top, I can't even put my foot down right. My whole foot goes numb. But there's pain, but it's also numb at the same time, which is bad. And I was like, did I rip my toes off? And so I'm standing on top of this 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 little hill thinking, oh my God, it hurts so bad. What do I do? What do I do? And I could still put pressure down on the ball of my foot. And I'm like, I think my toes are broken. And they are, by the way. I don't know if one, two, three of them are broken, but they're broken. And uh, having been through a bunch of broken toes in the family, you know, there's not much you can really do about broken toes. And there was no blood at the moment and it didn't feel like I had a, um, a compound fracture. That's where your bones are sticking out of the skin. I was like, well, I'm going to keep riding. I spent all this effort to go out mountain biking. So I don't know by myself. Kai's uh, at home with friends. He didn't want to go. And I, um, I continue mountain biking for long, you know, for the rest of the ride, two, two plus hours. And my foot's just, my toes are just killing me. But my foot's okay, but my toes are bad. I'm 
I'm like, well, just be careful. And there's not much you can do. Let's just keep going. So there was that injury. When I got back to the car, I took off my shoe finally to look. And yeah, my toes are black and blue and stuff. They're clicking uh, when I put pressure on them, which means there's probably a fractured bone and their bones are moving past each other. But if you have a broken toe, there's really not much you can do. You know, they, they set it sort of, they just protect it and then let it do its thing. So I'm not really sure what to do about it. Emily will be all concerned when I get back. And uh, I'll have a beer and tell her, you know, oh, it'll be fine, brr. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know, about an hour and 45, hour and 50 minutes into my ride, I, um, I'm coming up out of a creek channel. And somehow the bike gets turned a little sideways. Just, you know, normal stuff. Normal mountain bike stuff. And when I'm yanking on the handlebars and pushing down on the pedals and maybe in too big of a gear, I guess, or something. I don't know. That all happens so fast. Um, there's a, there was a turtle in the road, but he got out of the way. And I wrenched my back. And I've actually done this like two or three times before in my life and it's like a massive shooting pain like through your back and it just locks up instantly like in self-preservation and I mean it hurt so bad it hurt so bad I had to get off my bike and um, walk around a little bit and I've had this um, I had it happen one time before while moving and I had to, I had to keep lifting furniture and keep moving because my dad, I was in California. My dad had come from Texas to, um, help and my dad's, you know, got no sympathy. So he's always, you know, thinking that I'm faking an injury or something like that to get out of work because he only remembers me from being a teenager. <laughs> and I remember that I just had to lay there for a while and then just after a while, you know, like 10, 20 minutes, then back is okay. Sort of okay. And you just got to be careful with it for a little bit. Um, and anyway, I am way, way, way back in the woods, way back in the woods. And I'm on a trail that I don't actually know how to get off of except for to to finish it. So after about mm, five minutes, eight to 10 minutes, I don't know how long of gingerly, you know, like, very gingerly trying to stretch sort of um but you can only do so much because the pain is unreal y'all have had this where your back just locks locks up some of y'all had this and after a while i felt like i could finally get back on the bike again and i could but oh my god i had to be so careful pedaling and also not i the pain was uh, too much to uh, put down any uh, pressure (laughs) man talk about uh, I was just like what up it's great to get outside it's beautiful weather we've got we had a cold front come through so the the temperatures are really nice really good uh, mountain biking weather but um, just what a day so I was talking about that in the podcast about how know mountain biking you not get injured well yeah except for dumb stuff like that and then also 
a couple little tips that I wanted to mix into the show while we're sitting here. There's a horse. Hey, horse. Um, mountain biking and maybe road biking. If you're driving to a location and then you're going to bike from there, then bring water with you. And I might go buy a, um, a little spray can thing that you can buy at the hardware store where you can pump it. You know, it's like a couple gallons. You can pump it and then spray it. And people use it to spray plant food or pesticide or you know, whatever. But I was going to buy one and just fill it with water and then spray my bike with water because I've been kind of been coming back from mountain biking and the drive home from mountain biking, the mud that's on our bike uh, dries and then our bikes are caked in mud and then we get home and now we're too tired and then when we put our bikes up, the bikes are dried with just, you know, two pounds of mud on them each. And uh, what I did do this time is I brought a gallon jug and I also had a extra water bottle and a squeeze water bottle. And I already had water in the water bottle. And when I finished my mountain bike ride, as I was chilling and feeling, looking at my toes, they're all black and blue, and my back that's all banged up.com, the, uh, I sprayed down my bike with the water bottle, the squeeze bottle full of water. And then I think I filled it back up twice with water from my gallon water jug and uh, continued to spray down the bike. And now my bike is a lot cleaner. It's not clean, but it's cleaner. It's barely got any mud on it. And on the drive home, it's uh, being air dried. So when I put it up in the garage, when I get home, it's actually dry. How about that? And then also... Um, got the uh, new AirPod Pros. They're the uh, brand new AirPods that came out. And the only reason I got them is Kai came to Emily and I and said that he thinks he's ready to try AirPods again and hopefully won't lose them. And uh, and they're like 180 something dollars. And I was like, no, you're not getting AirPods again. You just got some a few months ago and then lost them like in a few days. But it's my money. Ah, I don't care. Your money is still our money. You're, he's 15. That's my money. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I've got AirPods. I will sell them to you for 50 bucks. Are they dirty? It's like, dude. (laughs) Yeah, they're dirty. Clean them. 50 bucks, dude. 50 bucks. I will give you my AirPods. They're still fine. And then if you lose them, I won't want to kill you. And if uh and then i will take that 50 bucks and go buy um me some airpods pro and that'll take some of the price off of that and uh i can talk about it on the podcast uh, because i'm interested in the uh, noise canceling so i've done a couple i don't know i got them the other day um i ordered them at best buy sort of what I did is I went online to Best Buy's website uh, to my store that's nearby bought them online and they text you and email you that they're ready it takes takes about an hour and I went walked into Best Buy and picked them up 
How about that? And then kind of walked around Best Buy a little bit to see if there was anything else I needed. I didn't need anything. And uh, my little review of the AirPods, which I'll talk about more in future podcasts because uh, they're pretty interesting, is um, they have three modes, which are easy, sort of easy to switch between. Um, one is normal, just like regular old AirPods. Uh, you know, they don't do anything. And then they're just playing music or whatever. Um, they do have the little silicone tips on them, which kind of seal out noise a little bit better. And and keep maybe keeps them from falling out your ears a little bit better. Um, and then there's a mode where it's noise cancellation, where I guess they have uh, the microphones in, in each one uh, pick up sound and then purposefully play the opposite of that sound, and that cancels out the sound waves. And so it kind of numbs the sound a little bit and that seems to work and um you can still hear stuff through it but it definitely has an effect and i'm like oh this will be great for at work or whatever when i'm trying to focus um the problem is uh oh the sound quality is better they have more bass especially with the silicone little tips uh they um seal sound in a little bit better but see, the problem is, is uh, your spouse, your kids, traffic, all that crap out there. Say you're jogging or biking outside or your spouse is talking to you and you're like, oh, I can't hear anything. Um, and then uh, you have some sort of incident. Uh, there's another mode. The third mode is active pass-through or something like that. I forgot what it's called. But anyway, and what it does is it picks up sound from around you and then plays it through the speakers so that it's actually enhancing the sound. So it's kind of like you're wearing those um, headphones that play on your temples and um, instead of in your ears. And uh, so, so it's allowing you to hear the outside more than before. And I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And so that's what I was doing today while I was mountain biking. Um, that's what I was doing yesterday while I was running outside um, because I wanted to be able to hear traffic. And it seems to work pretty good. And then I've only done it like twice though. And then I realized this is a really good mode to keep them in uh, when I'm walking around the house listening to stuff. So Emily doesn't get all mad at me and start yelling. Why aren't you listening? And then what's the other mode? Oh, I remember the other thing. It wasn't another mode. I ran on the treadmill with them in this morning. And um, the treadmill noise and the fans and all that other stuff was a little distracting. And I was trying to listen to a podcast. So I switched them to um, uh, the sound deadening mode uh, where it blocks out the sound from around you. And it worked and it was nice. I could still hear uh, the treadmill a little bit. Um, but it definitely isolated me from all that noise and it allowed me to enjoy uh, around the treadmill and listening to the podcast or whatever I was listening to. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, is it worth $250? Uh, I don't know. I'd say it's about $150 kind of value. But, um, you know, if you find yourself... They say the best reviews I've heard is like, dude, if you've got AirPods and they work fine, it's really not worth the upgrade. But if you're if you like AirPods or 
or um, and your old ones are wearing out or you've lost them or you want to try something new then uh, then they are worth it so that's that all right that's it let's get back oh so I was mountain biking by the way and because I had the active noise um, around me on pass through on um, it made me feel a whole lot safer that if uh, somebody you know came up behind me and needed to pass or if there was an animal or you know something like that that um, I wouldn't be like dead to the world like more so maybe than with regular airpods that's pretty cool okay that's it let's get back to the podcast here we go anyway there's all that and let's see the heart rate thing I was going to talk about was um, with mountain biking because it's so up and down and up and down and that throttles your heart rate up and down it's really difficult to uh, maintain a, a, a lower heart rate and you need to maintain a lower heart rate which is a reflection of your effort level uh, if you're going to go really long, you don't want to burn up too soon. And I did not have my heart rate on my handlebars. Because this race was so unusual, I didn't have a way to do that. And there is a way to do that. Actually, there's a there's a watch mount for the Garmin 935, um, maybe the 9, 925, 935, 945, whatever, the Forerunner, where... You can snap it from your wrist to your bike for your bike as a bike computer. But I didn't really, um, I didn't do that. I didn't have that, so I didn't do that. So I was looking at my heart rate while I was riding my bike uh, down at my wrist. I was having to lift up my wrist, look at my heart rate. You know, which you can only do mountain biking. You can't do that road uh, road biking. You can do that road biking pretty easily. Especially triathlon biking, you just twist your wrist and, and look because it's in your aero bars. Um, but on a mountain bike, you got to take your hand off the handlebars to do that, and that's not really smart. So if I was to do this race again, I which I want to, by the way, um, I suggest everybody go check out this triathlon. It is so cool. It's debatable if it's going to make or not. I'm trying to get over it without causing an accident. It's debatable if it's going to make or not because it had so few people um, and it was a first-time race. They'd done a duathlon there and maybe a, a fun run, um, but no triathlon, triathlon. And so if he doesn't make enough money, the race director, uh, on this one race, he may not do it again. So I made sure to tell him I loved it. It was really cool and that I would talk about it on the podcast. So it's the Brick House tri- <coughs> Triathlon in Navasota, Texas, N-A-V-A, Sota, Nava. So, ta, Texas. I always pronounce stuff so that people will spell it right because of my accent. Who knows what they actually think I'm saying. And the um, if the race makes, you know, then it'll come up again next year. It's the equivalent of a half Ironman, which so many of you listening to this podcast would be great at. Half Ironmans are the Ironman for the everyday person. Because Ironmans take so much time and training that eventually you don't have enough time to train if you're a normal human. And when you get towards the end of an Ironman, it becomes a death march. But half Ironmans, you actually, most people actually have the time to train for and get pretty good at. It's definitely an endurance event, very strategic and uh, pacing and all that good stuff. And it takes half the day. 
And uh, when you're done, you got time to drive home and then go to work the next day and kind of limp around a little bit and then you'll be fine in a couple of days. So it's uh, really, really cool. So that's my suggestion on that. And the heart rate thing is I wish I had a, it was an ambulance. I wish I had a heart rate um, display on my handlebars on the mountain bike so that I could actually um, hear or see. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking ahead because the hearing thing. I was going to talk about that in a second. So I could actually see my heart rate without having to look down at my wrist. So the next best thing, the next best best thing is a um, heart rate maybe in your ear. So a helmet that reads off your heart rate or something or in your line of sight. So like sunglasses that have heart rate or um, like there's these new sunglasses coming out where it'll show your stuff, your biometrics like in the screen, like a head up display. That would be awesome for mountain biking. And then that'd be really, really good for mountain biking. And then uh, another thing is some sort of headphones that are telling you your heart rate into your ear but you can't wear headphones while you're racing but you could get one of these helmets that has speakers built into the um, speakers built into the straps and those those kind of work okay but uh, give me some feedback on how you monitor your heart rate mountain biking for long distances um, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, I just don't, you know, I know my heart rate and everything. But let's say you are a person that wants to monitor your heart rate for a long distance mountain bike ride where you have to keep your hands on the handlebars and it's difficult to look at. Besides looking down at your handlebars or your wrist, what are some solutions to know your heart rate um, while mountain biking hardcore that's in your line of sight better, like sunglasses kind of things, or being read off to you out loud into your ear? Or these headphones that, um, what are they called? Air, air something, not AirPods, but they like, um, they're over the ear. They're not over the ear. They're over the top of the ear lobes. I mean, your ear cartilage. And then they hang down a little bit, um, onto your temple. And then they do bone conduction. There's a, um, a really popular, uh, brand of those. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not sure how waterproof they are, or if they will connect to something um, that's reading off your heart rate. A long time ago, I had a, um, I don't think it was Garmin. It might've been Finesse. Finesse makes a heart rate um, device that you wear on your goggles that um, gets your heart rate from your temple somehow, maybe using optical. Um, and then because it's pressed up against your temple, and then it's got the um, the bone conduction thing up against the side of your ear, up against your temple. So it's like doing both things at once, and it's using your goggle strap to um, to do it. Of course, you don't want to wear goggles while you're mountain biking. <laughs> I remember when I found out about this, it was so cool, and it worked while swimming, sort of. But I told Angela Nath about it. I emailed her because she and I were interviewing a bunch on the show at that time. And And I don't know if she ever tried it or not. And I don't know how effective it is. I know I quit using it, so it must not be that good. But maybe I'll dig that thing up and try it again. 
I'm trying to remember what kind of batteries it used to power the thing. It was definitely waterproof because you wore it while swimming. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, let me know if you have any ideas. Uh, Zen Trathlon on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Texafornia at gmail.com. And let's see. Next part of the show, I am going to talk about uh, my Ironman Kona review from my, my point of view. Um, you know, sitting on my couch and not being good enough to qualify for it. So I'm definitely uh, couch coaching. Um, but through all my years of experience, I've noticed a lot of things. And all my years of coaching and training and doing this kind of stuff, uh, there are some things that really stood out about the top performers at Kona. And actually, I talk a lot about, you know, Lionel needs help and he needs a coach. And I recorded this before he actually went out and got a coach <laughs> again. So he's back with, uh, I forgot the guy's first name, but Tillsbury Davis is his last name. And um, he's been a successful coach for Lionel before. So the things where I say Lionel needs to do this and Lionel needs to do that, he's doing them, doing them. So uh, don't worry too much about that. All right, let's get into that. Here we go. All right, we are going right into thoughts about Ironman Hawaii, the World Championships in Kona, and what we saw that was uh, useful for us to learn from, things that the uh, pros did uh, wrong and right. We got to see a clinic on how to race and how not to race. People uh, at Hawaii, they're very excited and they take risks because there's a lot of people watching and risky behavior rarely pays off. When it does, it pays off big, but it's just not a smart gamble. So we pe- we see people um, do the one thing that is taught not to do, is which is go too hard on the bike. It drives me crazy that pros and age groupers, some age groupers, are convinced that they've got to you know, catch up with this pack on the bike. They gotta be with the lead pack on the bike. And then they do that, and then they blow up on the run. And we've got a couple of really great examples of that. They also forget, they get forgetful. Lionel Sanders did that. They get too caught up in the moment. And then they have a, a bad run, and then they fall way back in the standings. And then they say, I don't know what happened. You know, I really put it all out there. But Yes, you put it all out there. All you did was you put it all out there too soon. And the uh, theory behind this, the fact behind this is Iron Man is so long. It's such a a long amount of distance and time that you have to play it very even, even, even. If you borrow any effort against yourself to keep up with somebody that passed you, to charge a little bit harder up a hill than you need to, um, to catch the lead pack on the bike, to um, not pay attention to your nutrition, just risk it and go, you know, pass. There's not time for that water at that aid station. That in Ironman, it will come back to bite you bad on the run and then you'll end up walking, uh, jog walking at best on the run, being a lot slower on the run. And the time lost is way more than the time um, you've gained by that one little thing. And 
we saw that. Let's see. Um, well, let's talk about the successes. We had Jan Ferdino uh, come back from injury and do really, 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 really well. And I'm doing the shoulder weave thing so somebody doesn't hit me from behind because we just had a traffic slowdown. And he paced it pretty even. He's good enough where he can kind of lead off the front. Well, like, well, Jan's off the front. Well, Jan is off the front because that's how fast he is. He's not trying any harder <laughs> than anybody else. And if you look at the photos, I think it's on Tri-Rig. Sorry about my foot squeaking, by the way. If you follow the photos on Tri-Rig, you can see his arrow position. It is insane about the, um, the tiny amount of drag that he's got on the bike. And so he was off the front, but not really. He was just in the front area, and he was not winning. Uh, coming into, was he off the bike first? I'm not sure if he was off the bike. No, he wasn't. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. And, <clears throat> well, he might have been. It doesn't matter. And he was also fueled by Martin, M-A-U-R-T-E-N. And I found an article where Martin uh, describes how they work and actually I've used Martin a lot it's really good it's what that guy is doing to uh, run those two-hour marathons the fuel actually has sodium alginate in it which is a seaweed uh, component which when it hits your it's liquid it's watery uh, in the bottle but then when it hits the your stomach acid when it hits acid it turns to gel and it's mixed in with your fuel, so when it hits your stomach, your watery fuel, which that makes it go past your mouth easy, so you don't have to chew it. Then it hits your stomach and it turns to gel, which is more like a solid. And then your stomach goes, oh, it's just a gel. Um, and then passes it, gets it past the stomach, and it's saturated in water at the same time. Um, and then gets into your large intestine. It allows you to get way more calories in, apparently. And um, Lionel Sanders, is an example on the men's side that uh, got caught up in stuff and in the moment. And he, uh, you know, he's using whatever, like Gatorade Endurance and stuff, regular uh, regular gels. And you can see on Jan Ferdino's um, bike, he's got Martin logos and stuff like that. So 99% chance he's using Martin. Okay. <clears throat> there was that. So Jan Ferdino won... And Lionel Sanders, as our example of, uh, of somebody who had a bad day, when um, he's definitely better than what he did. So he, he blew up. He got so caught up in the moment of racing that he said he forgot his water or he went through aid stations and forgot to grab water. So he was really dehydrated by the end of the run. And he had vision problems and everything. That's how dehydrated he was. And that's your... Um, oh, but he finished the run. And props, mad props to both Lionel and uh, Jan uh, for being the types of people. Jan's done it too, where they're having a bad day and they walk the marathon out of respect for the distance and the people that are trying to do it. Um, they don't have to do that. Lots of pros uh, drop out. And they have to, I'm sure. They've dropped out of races um, but when given the opportunity and it seems doable, they will um, finish. <clears throat> and well, if you don't finish, it doesn't count as an Ironman, and you need so many Ironmans to qualify uh, for a race. 
uh, for, to qualify for Kona as a pro, you have to do at least one Ironman in the previous year, for example, I believe. And then, let's see, Lucy Charles. Lucy Charles was fantastic on the swim. She comes from a swimming background. Uh, she was incredible on the bike. She was winning the bike. She came off the bike first, I think, by like nine minutes. It was crazy how much she was ahead of everybody by the bike, by the end of the bike. Well, um, on the run, she eventually faded and then got past. Uh, she did get second, which is really impressive, but she was so far ahead that when she slowed down on the run um, and then kept going, she didn't um, you know, fall too far back. But she did say herself that she was uh, racing with risk and that uh, Ann Hogg, Haig, Ann Haig, uh, passed her with a 2.52 marathon, which is haul and ass. And what Ann Haig did was she wasn't fastest on the swim, uh, she wasn't fastest on the bike, and then she was able to put it, put it down on a good run and when other people started slowing down, too much she was able to still have a good run now with lucy the interesting thing is is uh she posted a really fast bike time and then she said that she started getting leg cramps like a mile into the run or i don't know a few minutes very short into the run if you get cramps very uh specifically in certain muscles that means you overuse those muscles if you get cramps kind of all over that means you're low on electrolytes and dehydrated for example some some version of something's going on with your hydration and electrolytes it's different so that's an indicator that lucy went too hard on the bike and then you think about it she comes from a swimming background not a pro cyclist background and uh for her to be finishing in front of everybody on the bike by such a huge margin, like I said, like nine minutes, that's something that somebody with a pro cycling background would do and couldn't help themselves, and that's fine. Uh, Lucy finishes the swim with uh, Laura, Lauren Brandon several minutes in front of everybody else. I think she passes male pros. Uh, unable to help herself, but that's okay because she comes from a pro swimming background, and that's just what's going to happen. So uh, we can take those those symptoms there and then say, oh, okay, for ourselves, we learn not to go so hard on the bike and try to be a bike champion when we're not really a bike champion yet. Okay, that's it for right now. I've got to get in to W2TERK. Be right back. Out. All right, we are back. My voice is a little messed up. I've got some kind of chest cough that uh, just a little bit. Whooping cough. Whoop. <laughs> anyway, just had a nice swim and was doing um, 10 minutes of 100s, six of them. So I had an hour's worth. Except I stop and at the 10 minute mark and then rest for about a almost a minute and a half, catch my breath. And I've been doing them for uh, for a while now. And uh, getting faster. And I noticed something really cool that if you uh, calm down and swim, I've got things rattling in here. Oh my gosh, it's driving me crazy. What is that? 
if you calm down and relax your breath and let out all your air and swim slowly, you actually swim faster. So that was really nice. Really, really nice. The uh, true art of endurance is keeping your breath and um, aerobic system very relaxed and chill. And then training while you're doing that, training um, your muscles against resistance. So like say if you were running, jogging easily, but also jogging uphill easily. And that uh, works your muscles to make them stronger while keeping your uh, aerobic system chill. So you can swim kind of easy and relaxed, uh, but swim a long time, and then that wears out your muscles and makes them stronger next time. But the whole time you've been burning fat and all that good stuff. All right, we are back on, let's see, Lionel Sanders, and then I thought there was somebody else, and yes, there is Alistair Brownlee. What a showcase he was of uh, of wrong view in Zen. Might have to do that Zen gong on this one. But wrong view is Alistair is treating, still treating uh, these races as if they're short distance, which is really aggressive off the bike. Um, trying to win the bike and not just win it by like who's first, but being aggressive on the bike and spraying off the front and then uh, come, letting people go by and then sprinting off again. It's like intimidating, you know, <laughs> yelling at people. I don't know if he yelled at this race, but I've seen him in other races, uh, half Ironmans. Uh, come on, take a turn at the front. It's like, you're barely getting any draft at all off that. And quit yelling at people <laughs> about all this. I've seen uh, when people do that, when they do the yelling thing, and our man, the, the person that's getting yelled at just kind of like shakes their head, like, geez. Anyway, the, uh, the eyewitness accounts of what happened was Alistair Brownlee, uh, who's just an incredible triathlete, came out of the swim, I think maybe kind of towards the front first-ish which being an Olympic gold medalist triathlete, it's, it is all about the swim. You have to be an incredible swimmer. Uh, it was not a big surprise. And then <clears throat> and then charging hard off the off the uh, up on the first part of the bike, up a hill, Palani Hill, I think is what they call it. And people were saying, like, what is he doing? And then after a while, he got uh, a flat tire which also um, as Jan Ferdino passed him he said you alright dude <laughs> and that burns up extra calories and then he had to put on a spare tire and it made him so angry that he uh, supposedly allegedly um, was acting uh, rude at the uh, finish line which you know there's a lot of emotions and stuff and He's apologized since then, if there was even, if it was even true. But anyway, that's another example. Oh, and he finished. Lionel Sanders actually like started to pass him on the on the walk, the run, and 
they teamed up and, and kind of ran together towards the finish line. I don't know which one finished first, but, you know, in the 30s maybe or something in the rank. Uh, Lionel Sanders, back to him, what did he do? He, oh, this whole thing with forgetting, um, forgetting to drink water is just crazy, you know. It means you don't have your... Uh, your act together as far as like your focus and stuff it happens to me all the time uh day before yesterday i forgot my id badge to go to work and i couldn't get in the building and that is classic i got too much going on in my life right uh forget you go somewhere and you forget to pack your toothpaste you you, you forget stuff that you normally don't forget um but you could forget that's a sign that you got too much stress and you need to take a look at what's going on in your life and maybe uh, cut something out, maybe catch up on some sleep, skip something, and like a workout, calm down. <laughs> oh yeah, and the last thing I wanted to mention about Lionel was this habit he's got uh, of talking all the time about his watts. I did on this workout, I did however many watts, and on this workout, I did it however many watts, and on the bike. And um, that is very, very age grouper, because I'm guilty of this. That is very age grouper mindset. And what we have to remember is if you're good enough to be a pro, you're already genetically gifted athletically, um, you need to not worry so much about your numbers. See, age groupers worry about numbers because we want to make sure that we can cover the distance, you know, at a decent speed. Pros have already qualified and proven to become a pro that they can cover the distance at, you know, a good speed. So talking about your uh, your power is uh, it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like um, in NASCAR, all the cars have almost exactly the same horsepower. I don't know, it's like 500 and something horsepower, 700, I don't know, whatever it is. But they have pretty much all the same horsepower. So they don't really, the horsepower is not important. <clears throat> it's the racing uh, handling. It's not screwing up. Everything's already handed to you. It's kind of like in the Olympics, everybody gets all the same gear, like, in, like the javelin throw. Everybody gets a stock javelin. All the crew boats get a stock boat. I hope to make it fair well the pros are all if you're in Kona you're all really really good so worrying about your watts and talking about that all the time uh, is not necessary and you'll see like almost none of the other pros ever talk about that about how many watts they put out in training and how many watts they put out during the bike um, if they do talk about it, it's just kind of in passing, like they laugh about it. Uh, Tour de France and Kona, a lot of racers, a lot, a lot of in triathlon, a lot of pros cover up their numbers on their bike so they can't see them, so they don't chase numbers, which blows them up. And this uh, this thing that uh, Lionel does, talking about numbers all the time. I think it, it shows that he's um, he still worries about what uh, other people think. And so he's training 
a little, just a little bit, because dude, he's freaking awesome. He's training to uh, impress other people and explain himself to other people all the time. And whenever you do that, you're not training yourself. You're you're um, you're doing things. Uh, and I'm very guilty of this. This is how I know that uh, that this is an age grouper thing. Uh, whenever I get all in the groove of trying to do something and, and big, you know, uh, and I I, sh- I post numbers and all that stuff because I'm really impressed with myself. But I want other people to see that too. And um, if you're pro level, if you're a very very serious athlete and that's your job, uh, that's a, um, that's counterproductive. It'll actually um, make you forget to pay attention to yourself and train what you need to do. So you'll be like, oh, the right way is you look at your numbers and then you say, um, okay, so I need to back off a little bit, um, whatever. And, uh, and go back to training myself because you have confidence that you're, um, that you're good enough. You need to just tune your body a little bit. And the... an age grouper will that's training wrong like most of us do we will say "Ooh, I did 250 watts on this one hill today I'm going to go back and do it again tomorrow and show everybody I can do it again I'm going to do it again next week regardless of how they feel it turns out they don't feel very good so they do it anyway because they need to show everybody and then it burns them up and then they don't have a good uh, training session and then they don't have a good race so we see that with uh, Lionel a lot of times where he'll he will uh, post something and then post some more that he did some more and how good he feels and he's ready and he posts some more and people are all watching and cheering him on and then on race day he's um, worn out anyway that's it I gotta go to work and also I gotta take my bike in today I might get electronic mountain bike shifting dude I'll talk about more talk about that uh, a lot more if it actually happens um on the next episode or next uh entry i hope all right (laughs) be right back out all right that's the show thanks for tuning in and listening and as always be safe out there stay tuned for the next episode and when you're out training make sure you work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out